Friday. You'll have to finish those conversations over morning tea after our service. So please stay for morning tea. Just a tip if you have a preaching, don't put a throat lozenge in your mouth a minute before and then have to quickly chew it up and forget that we used to have a kid's story, but now we've got kids' church. Good morning. It's great to have everyone here. It's great to have our people who are visiting from Melbourne. We're praying that houses sell and all sorts of stuff down there so that this crew can move down into our beautiful Beaker Valley. So do know that we are praying for those things that God will make a way. I remember clearly about 11 or 12 years ago, someone in a ministry mentoring capacity once told me, they, they, they said this to me, and you know there's those moments in your life where you, you can remember the words, you can remember the moment as if it was, as if it was still being spoken to you. Um, this person said to me, Jacob, you can't win in every area of your life. And being younger and more stupid back then, I'm like, Yes, I can. He said, you can't. Like you can't have A pluses in all the areas, in all the hats, in all the responsibilities that you have. It's just impossible. You know, he said, you can probably hold a C plus or B minus average across the board if if you try really hard. He said, but why don't you look at the areas that you have in life and prioritise what's important, have a few A's, have a few B's and be okay that in some areas of your life, in various seasons, you're just going to have to live with a C in some of those areas. What am I talking about? Well, in your life and in my life, in all our lives, we carry different titles. So I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a business owner, I'm a friend, I'm a neighbour, I'm also a child of God. And so there's all these different areas and it's a little bit confronting, but I'll show you a little bit of a glimpse into me. And yes, I'm German and I review lots of things, but if we could put it... It's all right. I basically categorise my life into um, seven hats at the moment. And they are my relationship with God. Here we go. They are my relationship with God, me being a husband, me being a father, me being a pastor, me being a business owner, me being a friend, and me being a neighbour. And then if you see here, I've got my aims. This is what I'm aiming to do. I'm aiming to have a A, it should have been A plus, relationship with God. I'm aiming to get an A as a husband, an A as a father. But when it comes to pastoring, business owner, friend and neighbour, I've got to be okay that, because I've got other priorities, that maybe I just aim for a B in those areas of my lives. And if I do a current assessment, I'm not quite hitting my aims, I'm working towards them. But you see, I've got a B, 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 C, B, B and C. And I've got to be okay with that. And can I challenge you that in your life, you've got to actually look at the areas that you have and be okay with not absolutely winning in every area of your life, but understanding that there are priorities that we all have to reach. Why do I tell you that? Because recently I re-looked at my priorities and my aims and I realised that the three things, the three hats that I wear that are most important to me and have to be the areas I aim for in A's is child of God or relationship with God, husband of Kezia and father of my four beautiful kids. And, and to be truthful, none of those other stuff are near as important. I love pastoring, I love running my business, but none of them things matter as much as the other things. 
And as we read today's passage, I want us to look at priorities. We're going to read Esther 2 verses 1 to 18. It's a large passage of Scripture, so if you've got your Bibles, um, you can follow along or it should come up on the screens. We are one or two weeks into a new program, so we may have some teething issues. It says, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, why was he furious? Because last week in a drunken um, idea, him and all the boys, super drunk, and he decides, I've got a good idea. I'm going to get my queen, my wife, to basically parade naked, to do a striptease, just wearing a crown. She wasn't naked. She had a crown on her head. Uh, in front of the boys, she said no. Thankfully, well done to her. And he's furious. And it says, after King Xerxes' fury had subsided, that's a couple of years, mind you, this, we're talking. Oh, you can read the commentaries. I'm not lying. He remembered Vashti. That's the queen who said no. And what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every um, province of his realm to bring all the beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then... Let the young women who please the king be queen instead of Vashti. Great ideas happening here, hey. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shemir, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with a word I can't pronounce, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. It's so easy to read this stuff in your head and then when you have to read it out loud, you just sink into a hole. So just bear with me. Whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. What you'll notice is Esther had, uh, has two names, Hadassah, also known as Esther. We see that King Xerxes, it's about translations and a whole number of things. King Xerxes in other translations are called King Ahasuerus, so you may have that written in your Bible also. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. The modern translation, she's smoking hot. That's, that's what the writer's trying to get across to us. That's, they, they want you to understand she's just gorgeous. She is um, amazing. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and etiquette had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favour. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendees into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai, her uncle who'd taken her as a father, had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil and myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. We just had a family wedding, 
and, and the girls had three or four hours to make themselves look beautiful and amazing. The boys just probably just five minutes to brush their hair. Can you imagine the process of 12 months of beautifying yourself for this one moment? And so this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem in the care of Shashgaz, great name to name your kid, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. Sometimes stuff in the Bible makes you go, what the flip, right? This is what's good about going through a book of the Bible is we can't just pick and choose the easy and nice and fluffy stuff. Sometimes we've got to get real as we're going to do this morning. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abhal to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month and month, the month of Tibeth in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther, of course, because the writers already told us that she was gorgeous more than any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, he's good at throwing parties, Esther's banquet for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the providences and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Father, as we spend not enough time in this passage, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us where we're at with something that we need, encourage us through the midst of this chaos and craziness and immorality and just just show us your heart and your love today. Amen. When you're preparing for a sermon like this, there's just so many tracks and paths you could take. And I was all keen on, on one particular way and then on Friday night and on Saturday morning again, I just felt God started to speak a, a word into my heart and a word to the church and for everyone here, Like, and that is what's your priority? Because we all live in this busy world where everybody asks everybody, like, how are you going? And everyone usually goes, oh, busy, oh, flat out, oh, lots on. That is the common answer to the question in our world, how are you going? And the truth is we have lots on because of what our priority is. For a bad example, this coming week, I've got about two weeks worth of paintings to do in one week um, because a, a while ago I had a day where in business my priority was making sure I had enough work and enough money and I took on a crazy contract and so I overcommitted to a job and a time frame and the result of that is, gosh, if you ask me at the end of next week how I am, I'll say busy. But the, the truth is that all of us, depending on our priorities, end up filling our schedules. Some people might have the priority to be socially accepted and so at the neglect of maybe children or, or partners or others, they accept crazy social calendars and they're committed to being the president of this club and they're doing this in another club and this in another club and all of a sudden, because that was their priority, they're so busy in that trying to be accepted socially that they forget about other areas of their life and, and, and you sort of have to rob from other areas of your life. Other people are chasing this perfect physical appearance and spend hours and hours at the gym in order to tone their bodies so they look nearly as buff as me. All the while missing that time that they could have spent with other people. 
Some of us, and as I mentioned earlier, can fall in this category. We spend all our time chasing wealth and money and building our businesses and and growing um, our little nest eggs so that when we get to the end of our life, we've got so much money, but we never actually gave ourselves the time to actually spend the money and enjoy what we could have done. And we rob just to get something else. And it all comes back to priorities. It all comes back to what's your priority. See, all those things that I talk about, wealth, social acceptance, friends, all all these things, going to the gym, being fit and healthy, they're all okay. They're all things that are okay to put some time into. But may I suggest that maybe they're just not the things that we need an A in. Maybe some of those things we have to be okay with getting a B or a C and prioritise getting an A in other areas in our lives. Let's look at the characters in today's passage and look at their priorities. It starts, <coughs> excuse me, in chapter 2, verses 1, where King Xerxes' fury had subsided. A couple of years had passed since the queen disobeyed his drunken idea. And he remembered Vashti and what she had done. And so all this thing happens. The king's personal attendants propose. Let's, let's go search. Let's have a beauty contest. Let's find you a heap of young virgins, king, and they'll make you happy. And eventually one of them you'll decide and you'll marry. And then that's a great idea. And he's like, yeah, that'll make me happy. Um, and then verse 4, it says, And let the young woman who pleases the king become queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. So as we read that, we go, well, what's Xerxes' priority? It's interesting because early in verse 1 or verse 2, it says that he remembered Vashti. Now, a few years apparently had gone since that fateful day where the queen disobeyed uh, the opportunity to strip in front of all his drunken mates. And, and what happens is it's like, and let's not pretend many of us um, have lived lives where we may have been in that place before Christ or even some of us in our Christ, even though we shouldn't, we've been drunk, made stupid choices, and the next day or later on down the track you're reflecting on it and you're going, I just don't really think that was a great idea. There has to be a point when King Xerxes is not um, drunk anymore and he goes, yeah, not not my greatest moment. And when it says he remembered her, the, um, the, the translation talks about his feeling regret. There was a time in his life, and even now where where he loved Vashti, even though he had a harem full of concubines, he was his chosen queen. This was the lady that was queen. And after a couple of years, maybe he's lonely, he just he's remembering Vashti, and there's this, yeah, this implication that he's he's regretful. He's feeling regret, but it's interesting, his priority wasn't making amends with Vashti. His priority was himself and saving face. Oh, I feel bad. Shouldn't have happened. But how do I turn this around so that I'm no longer lonely, so I've got a queen, so that I can be happy again? So what does he do? He gathers people around him to counsel him. And it's these king's attendees, they're young men wanting to please the king. And so they suggest stuff the king actually wants to hear, not so much stuff that he needs to hear. And there's a side note and a lesson for all of us, like, do we have people in our lives who um, can actually speak a wise word into our lives? Not necessarily what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Because imagine this. Imagine if King Xerxes had wise counsel in his life. Not yes men, not young stupid guys who are just trying to you know, glorify the king so they can gain the upper hand themselves in life. 
Imagine he had mentors. Imagine mentors who said, you know what, King, with all due respect, what you've banished Vashti for was because of your own stupidity. Why don't you reinstate her? You love her. Bring her back. It's going to solve your loneliness. It's going to solve this disconnect. It's going to solve this issue that you have, whereas you're a king now without an active queen. And it is just a question for us. Do we have mentors in our life? And if you don't, find some. It's absolutely amazing to have someone who can lovingly rebuke you if you need that. But because of the king's pride and his priority, he wanted to feel good again and to feel good after conflicts. And it's the same for King Xerxes and it's the same for us today. After conflict, there's two things that we can do. We can either repair or replace. We can either go back and say sorry and repair the, what the conflict broke or we can just try to put a Band-Aid on it and replace and try to imitate what we had with something else. One's a good way and the other way just ends up starting a cycle and leaves unresolved issues. And so he chooses the Band-Aids because of the advice of the young king's attendees. And so the search is now on for a new queen, a Band-Aid that's going to make him feel good about himself, someone who won't say no to his requests and will try again. And so all the leaders of the 127 provinces are looking for the, uh, the most beautiful girls in their provinces because the truth is, as a leader of one of these provinces, if you could have one of the girls from your area of town, from your land, become the queen, then all of a sudden your province is going to do well out of that. You know, it's like the politician who's, uh, you know, at the election is, uh, is trying to get in favour with the leaders so that they can help their area. And this is, like, really exciting. And so the quest goes on and verse 5 says, Now... There in the citadel of Susa, a Jew by the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai um, was there. Um, and it goes on to say he had this cousin um, named Esther who he brought up. She didn't have a mother or father. So this young woman was taken in. She was a beautiful, amazing girl. It says Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter because her mother and father had died. When the king's order had been proclaimed, many young women were brought in to this citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai into the harem, and Esther was one of them. This is one of the real first times we get to see Mordecai. We learn a little bit about his Jewish background, and we start to get an understanding of him. And so the question is, what's Mordecai's priority? Because it's interesting, I, and if you heard my sermon series introduction, I didn't paint a real nice picture of Mordecai. But at some point in his journey, and it seems to come and go, Esther was his priority. Because it's a great and noble and right thing. He's the uncle or cousin of Esther, his family, but he's not the parent. But he takes a younger girl on, Esther, who's orphaned, and he looks for, looks after her, he cares for her just like a daughter. But here's where it takes a shift and gets maybe a little bit controversial. Maybe um, I'm breaking a little bit of what a lot of people would normally say about Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai's priority was actually of self-promotion and self-interest. It says that he's in the citadel. He lives in the citadel, which means he's, he's working for the king's public service and he's working his way up the promotional chain, and he's keen to make something of himself and become a someone in the royal service. Because why else would you allow your daughter to become a contestant 
in who wants to be the queen. Because I need to stop and I need to be brutally honest and forward and open and tell you a little bit about the contest. And I almost don't want to. And for me, that's crazy because, you know, I'm pretty loose. (laughs) The girls were removed from their homes. Now, it's questionable the level of choice. Some commentators will say they had choice. Some will say they didn't have choice. But hear this, Mordecai and Esther had choice because they had this sneaky get-out-of-jail-free clause. All they had to do was say that they were God-fearing Jews and they could have left the citadel and stayed either in the greater kingdom in one of the 127 provinces or head back to Jerusalem freely like many, many other Jews had done during this time period. Jewish persecution was at an all-time low. But a known Jewish girl would not have been made queen and a known Jewish following man would not have been able to get a high-up place in the royal service. But so this contest, the girls were removed from their homes and they were sent to a section of the harem. They were allowed a large amount of time to get perfect, you know, lose a bit of weight, get grooms, learn to speak right, look right, smell right. They had all the oils and all this stuff put over them. And then they had one chance, just one moment, one night, one night in the king's chamber, one night to lose their virginity, lose their dignity. They could bring whatever they wanted. I'm not making this up. They could choose and bring in toys or things that would please the king. They could choose what they wanted to bring in because the more things that they could do and the more fun that they could, more they could please the king, the more chance they had of being the queen. But they got one chance and if the king really liked them more than all the others, they would become queen. And if not, this is what that would happen. They'd go to another part of the harem and live the rest of their days as part of that harem. They'd get good food, they'd be well presented, they'd be well groomed, they'd get lots of stuff and looked after, and occasionally the king or his invited guests may call on them to be used for an evening. Horrible. Horrible. What father? What father would allow his daughter to enter into such a contest? It it really annoys me. It's pathetic. Use your get out of jail cause, Mordecai. That's the moment. You, you might not, up until now, you might have hidden your Jewish thing. Oh, I'm a Jew, me and Esther have to go. Because his position, he didn't. You know why? Because his position in the royal service meant more to him. It was a greater priority to him than any position that the king would have put Esther into during that contest. You know, you can't have A's in every area of your life. This was Mordecai's moment to get an A in fathering, to get an A in protecting this adopted daughter and maybe get a C or a D in work life. But he failed. And as a result, in this moment, he got an F in fatherhood. His priority was work life and personal gain and he failed the young girl that he had previously prioritised. There's a question for us. When our moments come to prioritise work or family, what will we choose? I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anyone else here. Probably more. Verse 8 goes on to say, When the king's order and elect had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Now, Haggai was a eunuch, and so what would happen is, you know, you never want to get the job title of a eunuch. So what would happen is they would be dismembered, 
so that then they could look after the girls, but they wouldn't have any temptation to do anything themselves. So it, it's a pretty, pretty bad job description. <laughs> Let's put it that way. The uh, selection criteria was tough. Um, so Esther, it says, it goes on to say that Esther was taken there and she pleased uh, Hegei, who was in charge of the harem, and won his favour. And so he then, she was the favourite, not just later become the favourite of the king, she was the favourite of the guy who was looking after all these women. And so she got special treatment, she got looked after, um, she didn't reveal her nationality or her family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Um, and it says in verse 11, and this is important, every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. You know, when we get our priorities mixed up and we get them wrong, there will come a time where we regret that. And so it's important that early on we just do our best to get it right because now Mordecai is in a position where he probably doesn't want to be in because he's sitting at home going, if I'd just, if I'd just done that but not enough to still use his get-out-of-jail card. So it's interesting to see where his priorities lie. It goes on in verse 12 to tell us, and we, we read it earlier, that the women would have 12 months of beauty treatments before they would be fit to go see the king. What a jerk the king was. And, and then they were able to take whatever they wanted. It says that Esther, being smart and being strategic, asked the person looking after her, well, what things should I take? And that's what she took in. So it says in verse 15, when the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes' royal residence, 10th month, month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. Verse 17, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. She won the contest. She got the crown on her head. And so this is where we really see in this passage Esther. You know, and for years she's been lifted in, in church pulpits and in, in commentaries as this amazing God-filled, faith-filled young lady who saved the Jewish people who were in Persia. But I want to ask you, what was Esther's priority? As she's entering this contest, what was her priority? I believe her priority was status and acceptance. I mean, as a young girl who, as the Bible says, was extremely good looking, was beautiful, was amazing, she had options, but she knew that if she could please the king and she could become queen, then it was going to be a pretty good life for her. Even being married to a bad king, being queen, was pretty good, right? Because she had her own section if she became queen of the castle, gets her own mini castle in the big castle. You get your own servants, your own food. And you don't have to clean. You don't have to cook. You don't have to do any chores. If you have children, they're going to be babysitting and raised for you. You just have this incredible life. And the truth be told, even if you don't really like this nasty king, he's only going to call on you maybe once a month for a bit of hanky-panky because he's got his harem and he calls on them most nights. So if you can put up with a little bit of that, then you've got a pretty good life. And so she enters the contest willingly and she's aiming strategically to win it. And how do we know that? Because she's won over 
the people in charge of the competition, one over the people looking after her. She's wanting every advantage possible. She befriends the eunuch in charge and just sought his advice on what to bring to please the king, and that's exactly what she did. It's interesting because unlike Daniel in a similar biblical time, when he was in a similar um, royal shaping program, you know, in Daniel where they were bringing in some smart people and they were going to raise up some wise people and Daniel was one of the guys, Daniel decided not to eat the special king's food and that's where we get the Daniel's fast from. But she wasn't like that. She ate the king's food, foods not eaten by God-following Jews. So she threw herself headfirst into all that the contest entailed, breaking Jewish food laws and customs and breaking godly sexual boundaries. And it seems she did this without any real regard for them. She had a get-out clause. All she had to do was get on the direction of following God, of becoming a God-following Jew, acknowledging that, but she chose not to. And some might say, but God put her in that position, Jacob, so the Jews could be saved. And so God's the one who's responsible for her sexual misconduct and the other Jewish laws that she would have broken. No, she got herself in that position because of her priorities. Mordecai gets the Jews into trouble because of his priorities, because he's a stubborn moron. And so God simply used the situation and the resources and the positions available to then save the Jewish people because God's not the author of evil. He's the redeemer of evil. He will not put us in a position that makes us sin. He will not put us in a position that makes us break his laws. So what's Esther's priority? Her personal glory and her comfort. So Xerxes' priority was to save face to replace rather than repair. Mordecai's priority was to give what was once a priority for personal gain rather than to guard what he should have guarded. And Esther's priority was to position herself to gain prominence. And all these people and all these wrong priorities got me thinking, like, Lord, as I'm reading this book, this passage, this story, it's simply depressing. It really is. Godless people doing godless things, godless priorities. And I felt God say this, that through all their wrong priorities, they were still my priority. So what's God's priority? It's his people. And that's good news for you and me today, that you and I are God's priority. We're going to see as we go through these scriptures in the coming weeks that even though Xerxes is a pagan worshipping king, God will use him and his power for the good of God's people because God's people are his priority. We're going to see that even though Esther was prostituting herself out for position and for her own comfort and fame, God lovingly made a way for her to choose faith over fortune down the track because that's God's the God of try again. He knows that we'll mess up on the priority scale. He knows that time and time again, I'm going to get my life hats wrong and I'm going to be aiming to have an A in business at the expense of my family. But he is the God who's loving, forgiving, and we always remain his priority and he will always give us an opportunity to once again 
move forward in him. And even though Mordecai fails to protect Esther and give her away for personal and gives her away for personal gain, what we're going to see is amazing. God's going to protect him and God even uses the tools that were made to destroy him to defeat his enemies. Why? Because God's people, even though he's not fully committed in following him, God's people are his priority. And so I want to wrap this up today by asking, what's your priority? Is it God and the people God has graced you with? But I want you to leave here knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you are God's priority. You're his priority. And as a church and as individuals, we need to remember that. It's not about, it's not about programs. It's not about performance. It's not about having everything just wonderful and shiny. It is about people. People are his priority and they need to be our priority. You know, while we were away from him, we were his priority. And now that we belong to him, we are his priority. While I'm screwing up with my focus on the things that I should be prioritising, I'm still his priority. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing this song, um, Reckless Love. And um, I just encourage you to stand and sing this song. And, you know, if you want prayer, please come up the front and John and Daryl and others can just pray for you. Um, but I want us, as we sing this song, Reckless Love, just to just to just thank God that we are His priority, and just be reminded that we are His priority.